As you know, we are in this series called The Works of Christ. This is our sixth installment. Uh, We've one more to go before we finish and get on to the Christmas thoughts. But uh, for now, uh, we are going to be talking about our topic for today, greater works than these. I don't know if you picked that up there in John chapter 14. Jesus, speaking to Philip, says, greater works than these shall ye do. Challenging words from Jesus to his disciples. Uh, We have been reading through Luke chapter 4, verses 18 and 19. That's been our base for this uh, series of messages where Jesus uh, describes uh, what it is he came here to do. We're, We're trying to answer this question. What did Jesus come to do? What was he how was he accomplishing this task? And uh, in Luke chapter 4, verse 18, he says, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to proclaim the good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives, recovery of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those that are oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. We said these are a metaphor. And uh, by that we meant uh, he's not speaking only to the poor. Actually, it's the spiritually poor. The uh, shattered at heart, the captives by spear, the blinded by smoke, and those that are oppressed to the point of fragmentation. And by answering the question, what did Jesus come to do? We then seek to answer the question, what are we here to do? But what are we here to do? Why why did God save us? What was the purpose? Love what June said this morning in the testimony. By the way, please don't tell anybody we went to Algeria. Um, It would cause us great harm. Uh, Just say North Africa uh, because uh, they could cut our visas just like that and then we wouldn't be able to minister there. You go to a situation like this and you say, this is what the church is meant to be doing. The testimonies we heard, the miracles that we saw and heard, and and, and they were real. There was no question about it that they were real. Well, we're working our way to this concluding fact that not only did he come to do these works, but that we, we the church, should be doing these works. So what did Jesus come to do? Well, he came to prove his messiahship. How did he go about that? Very simple. Through, hold on here, through works. Through works. Through the works that he was going to accomplish. We read in Luke chapter 4 just now in Matthew 11. Uh, I'd like to just read a little, a couple of verses there. The, um, uh, John the Baptist is in prison, and while in prison, he pretty much can smell that uh, things are coming to the end. And uh, he wants to know if Jesus is the one. He wants to die in peace. And so he says, and when John heard in his prison about the deeds of Christ, the deeds, by the way, that's the word for work, same word, uh, he sent word by his disciples and said to him, are you the one who is to come? Now, he's asking him the same question that Jesus proclaimed in Luke 4 when he said, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, for he has anointed me. 
The one that was expected. Are you the one to come? And that is exactly what he's asking him. Are you the anointed one? And he said to him, Jesus answered them, Go tell John what you have heard and seen. Now listen to what he says, and and, and try to find some correlation there with uh, Luke chapter 4. Listen to what Jesus says. The blind receive their sight, the lame walk, lepers are cleansed, the deaf hear, the the dead are raised up, the poor have the gospel, the good news preached to them. And blessed is the one who is not offended by this. Jesus came to do the works of the Messiah. In John chapter 7, we have the same word, works, but this time he expresses it from a different perspective. Jesus is at the temple and he's teaching. And the people uh, are, in, are, are listening and they're, they're, they're enjoying it. They, they, they sense the power of his teaching. But the, the teachers, the Sadducees and the priests and the Pharisees, they get upset at him. And, and his question to them is, of which of the, of, of what, what is it about my work, it's a singular word, that bothers you? And he hadn't done any miracles. See, at that point, his work was to proclaim. That's what he said he came, to proclaim the good news to the poor, to proclaim liberty to the captives, to preach to those that needed to hear it. And so he says, what about my work do you not like? So the works of Christ entail not only his miracles, his works into the poor man, but also the teaching. Now, anointed me too. That's what the passage says. The Spirit of the Lord has anointed me, has chosen me to proclaim, to proclaim to the church. Now, the church, the believers, the church is God's present chosen vessel. That's an awesome thing. Got a chance to teach that in depth to the students there in uh, North Africa. Uh, It was great. I mean, I I love teaching and then, I mean, I'm teaching to the, this, this small group of first-year students, and I'm thinking, I'm thinking, I'm affecting, I'm having a chance to affect the church in, in this country, right? So I wanted to know, well, what, what are we talking about here? And I said, well, tell me about how many people go to your church. And, you know, all about so many, about so many, and we, I tallied it all up. And there were eight students all right, in that first class, eight students. There was a married couple, so really I guess it's seven, you know what I mean, as far as churches is concerned. 1,500 believers. 1,500. And I said, 15, are you, are you guys telling me that you guys are from about 50? You represent 1,500 Christians? And one of them said, yeah, my church is about 1,000. He says, but that's not the biggest one. He says, we got bigger churches in the Kabyle. And I'm sitting there going, I just can't believe it. Wow, what a privilege to be there as the church, as the representative of the church of Christ, to teach the church of Christ. So, so we are there. We are the representatives, the chosen vessel. This is what, what First Peter says. To show forth the praises of him who has called you. To show forth the praises of him. That's what God chose his church for. And I get to do that. You get to do that. You know, he didn't choose you to come and just warm up the seat, folks. If that's what you think that church is all about, you're missing it. It's to get involved in what God is doing. Man, that is exciting. When you get involved in what God is doing in your life, the life of people around you, your family, your friends, your, your neighbors, 
You don't have to go across the ocean to do that. If you do, that's fun. It's great. But don't forget what's right next to you. We'll get to that at the end. To uh, show forth the praises of his people. So how, how do we show that we are God's chosen vessel? Through what? Well, here we go. Through works. I know we as evangelicals don't like that word works. Because immediately we get all tensed up because we, we start thinking, what, what, works? What are you talking about? No, no works. By grace, faith, no works. So we're not talking about salvation here, folks. We got that clear. Salvation is by grace through faith. No questions asked. But how do you show forth the praises to, to God? How do you show that forth? Well, through works. See, that's what John chapter 4, 14, verse 12 is. When Jesus says to Philip, greater works than these you will do. He's like, well, how are you going to do that? I, all right, folks, here we go. Let's have a quick test here. Raise your hand if you think you can outdo Jesus. Come on, guys. Now, nah, right? It sounds tough, right? I mean, there's certain things in the Bible that we just kind of go, oh, what do you mean by that? And greater works. Greater than these shall ye do. The word works actually is implied because he said it three times in the previous verses. And in that verse earlier on. You know, greater than these you will do. Really? We must not understand that. Okay? We, we must not, because it can't be that we're going to do anything bigger than he can do. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10 says, you know, you know that passage, beginning of verse 8, For by grace are ye saved through faith, and then out of yourself it is the gift of God, not of works lest any man should boast. And then you know what it says? It says that you were saved for works, that he has chosen before the foundation that you should walk in those works. So see, God prepares the works for you. He has saved you for a purpose, to use you, to give you the privilege of being, being used of God. There's nothing greater. I, there's nothing that brings more joy, more thrill to my heart than to one day wake up and say, wow, God used me yesterday. Then I get up with that same enthusiasm and say, well, let's see if he can use me today. Because that's what you're here for, folks. To be used of God. He who believes in me, Jesus declared to Philip, greater, greater works, greater than these, he will do. Now, quickly, let me just say to you about greater, okay? Um, the word itself, it's, the word is maison, but the, the point is this. I always, and I, and I know that in the past, somewhere along the line, I must have engaged in the fact that it means um, greater in number and quantity, not quality. Well, this time I really, really got down into this, 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 this word study. And, uh, well, actually the word means more extraordinary, more wonderful. Greater in number... Yeah, it could be. Actually, it could. But the emphasis and the repeatedness, because it's not once that he uses that phrase, by the way. Well, look at that in a minute. He means greater in amazement. Well, that really took me for a spin. And I thought, I am not going to outdo God. This is just not going to happen. There's something here I'm not understanding. What do you mean greater in amazement, greater in, in, in extraordinary, greater in wonder? How can, I, how can I do greater works than what he has already done? Well, the word works is 
That's not nothing complicated, you know, tasks, deeds, acts. So it's just things that God calls you to do. But what is the thing that God says you can do greater than? I don't know about you, but I'm really curious. Because if he says I can do it, I want to do it. I, I want everything God has given to me. The riches of God in Christ Jesus, that's what Ephesians is all about. Taught those kids for, for a whole week on that. And I'm like, yes, I want it all. You know, I am greedy. I want all the riches that are in Christ. Sorry. I'll share it with you if you want, but I want my part. So what does it mean? Well, the works of Jesus. He came to proclaim good news to the poor. We said that's the spiritually bankrupt. And then he describes those poor, those spiritually bankrupt. They're shattered, they're captive, they're blind, they're oppressed. So what are the works of the believer? These greater works, what are they? Now, um, you start looking in your Bible, John chapter 5. Now let me ask you a question. What's the greatest miracle you think could be done? Think about that for a second, all right? What do you think could be the greatest miracle that can ever be done? What could it be? All right, now I'll take answers. Give me, give me an idea. Raised from the dead. All right, we'll stop right there. Can anybody do that one? No. Do you know what? Jesus actually tells us that. He actually tells us that. I, I'd never stopped to see it until I was investigating this word, this phrase, greater works. I never noticed it. So, John chapter 5, if you wish, well, let's go there. And I want to read to you this passage and give you an understanding of what Jesus meant when he said greater works. Because here he does it again. So in John chapter 5, uh, what's, uh, what's happening here, you've got to kind of catch what's going on here. Uh, there, is a, there is a lame man, he's sitting at the pool of Bethesda, and uh, Jesus comes and heals him. All right? All right? Um, if you don't know the details, that's okay. Here's what's the important part. He heals him. Now there's a problem. Not that he healed him. The real problem is, it was the Sabbath. Now, the Sabbath's the day of rest. If you know anything about Judaism and about the law of Moses, it's that the Sabbath is indeed holy. I mean, there, they, the, the, the Mishnah had hundreds of laws of how to keep the Sabbath. They had all kinds of laws about how to not break the Sabbath. Well, Jesus healed this man on the Sabbath. Well, that was a problem. Because, see, the man had a mat. You know, it's a pallet. It calls it uh, your table, whatever you want to call it, your bed. Uh, today, you know, he a rolled up mat. You know, when he healed him, Jesus says, "Take him out and walk." And so the man said, "Well, thank you. I'm walking here, and I am not leaving my mat. That's my bed." So he picks it up, rolls it up, puts it on his arm, and he walks. And guess what happened? The religious people see him, right? The the the, the priests, the Pharisees, they, they saw and they. they their question wasn't, wow, you're healed. What a miracle. Praise God. Hallelujah. No, it's, what are you doing walking with your mat? You, you, you scratch your head. You go, really? That's what you notice? You notice he's walking with his mat? You don't notice the fact that he's walking? Well, this created a problem for Jesus. Yeah? 
uh, I could talk to you about that situation, but anyway, anyway. So when you get to to, to uh, chapter five, verse eighteen, that's your background. Okay, got you got you on the background. Verse eighteen. Listen to what it says. Five eighteen says, "This was why the Jews were seeking all the more to kill him. Why? Because he was healing on the Sabbath, telling people to pick up their mats. Oh, horror, horrors. Okay." Because not only was he breaking the Sabbath, but he was even calling God his own father, making himself equal with God, the authority. (laughs) Equal with God. So Jesus said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, the son can do nothing of his own accord, but only what he sees the father doing. For whatever the father does, that the son does likewise. For the Father loves the Son and shows him all that he himself is doing. And greater works than these will he show him, so that you may marvel. Now this is what Jesus said. Look, don't get on my case. I'm just doing what I saw my Heavenly Father do. I'm just doing what he told me to do. By the way, you don't like what I'm doing? It's going to get better. That's what he says. Greater works are going to happen. You don't like what's going on? You wait. You think that walking with the mat under the arm is a bad thing? You wait what's coming down the road. For as the Father raises the dead, verse 21, for as the Father raises the dead, I asked the question, what's the greatest miracle can be done? We probably all agree, you know, raising a dead person. That's got to be the, I mean, that's got to be it. Right? Jesus said, Here's the miracle, folks. Raising the dead. Eh? For as the Father raises the dead and gives them life, so also the Son gives life to whom he will. Now, that passage is speaking about physical life. But then Jesus says, and I can give life. Remember, because he does everything the Father does. But keep going, keep going. The Father judges no one but has given all judgment to the Son, that all, that, that all may honor the Son, just as they honor the Father. Whoever does not honor the Son does not honor the Father who sent him. So up to now, he says, he says, I do everything the Father tells me. He says, I've seen the Father raise the dead. It's actually been used of the Father to raise the dead. And he says, that's the greatest miracle, but there are going to be, there is... Greater works that are coming. Greater works. Verse 24, he tells us the greater works. And then I'll explain to you why. Verse 24, listen to what he says. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has what? Eternal life. It's eternal life. He does not come into judgment, but is passed from death until I have the power to judge, he says. But instead of judging, I give life. I have the power to forgive sins. Now, folks, what's the greatest miracle? Raising someone from the dead. Now, I asked this question. I've been on Don. I'll ask it to you again. Has anyone seen Lazarus lately? You have heard the story. Lazarus. Have you heard the story of Lazarus? Anybody seen Lazarus lately? See, it it wasn't true. There was nobody raised from the dead named Lazarus. He's not around. If he was around, if he would have been raised, he'd be around, right? Is there something wrong with what I'm saying here? 
Are you guys still asleep? There's something wrong. Why? Because he did raise him, but yeah, Lazarus is not around. And we're okay with that. Aren't we okay with that? He died. So, you know, is that a great big miracle? Yeah, it is. Sure it is. But he died. Do you have eternal life? Because if you do, you won't die. See, the greatest miracle isn't raising the dead. The greatest miracle is that God would give you life. And let me remind you this, you don't deserve it. The day you wake up thinking you deserve eternal life, you've missed it. Nobody deserves eternal life because we've all sinned and come short of the glory of God. Stop thinking you deserve it because you grew up in the right home or went to the right church or did the right things. If you have it, you get on your knees and you say, God, thank you for your mercy and your grace and your forgiveness because you will not die. Now, a person gets healed from blindness, healed from cancer. Is that good? That's awesome. That's not good. That's, we heard testimonies. That, I, thought, I, I thought June was going to tell you about that lady. She, by the way, the room that she's talking about, I was kind of from down there measuring. If you put a wall here and you put the wall where the stage ends, this is her room. This is her room right here. This is this wide. This is a, the size of that room. She lived there with three kids. And she said, I've seen God. He healed me of a heart disease. He's come into my life. I'd rather live like this as a Christian. Hey, those are miracles worth telling about. Those are the real ones. My father-in-law was opened up on an operating table a long time ago. And the doctors just kind of send him home. They close him right back up and send him home because they said there's nothing we can do for him. And they basically told the family, prepare. He's going to die. 22 years later, he died. See? Oh, God didn't heal him. Oh, he died. Oh, come on, folks. Right? That's not the point, right? The point is, God healed him. But no matter how much you're healed, how much you're fixed, how much God sews you back together again, sooner or later, it's going to fall apart. You know why? Because it is written. It is appointed unto man once to die. And then the judgment. So the Bible says, if you want to live forever, you better be born twice. Because if you're born twice, you only die once. If you're born physically and spiritually, you only die physically once. But you will not die spiritually. But if you're only born once, you will die twice. You will die, you'll be born once physically, but you'll die twice. Once physically and again spiritually. In Revelation it tells us that it's called the lake of fire. Now, you know what the greatest miracle is? To watch someone come out of death into life. If you know Jesus Christ as your Savior, you've been brought out of darkness into light, out of death into life. If you don't, you are dead man walking. You know that expression? That expression of someone who is on death row. He's already been sentenced. He's already been judged, sentenced. All he's waiting for is for it to be executed. Jesus says in John chapter 3 that if we have not believed, it says that, that condemnation is already on us. We have already been condemned. 
See, we got it all wrong when we think, you know, well, I'm waiting until I get to the end, and hopefully God will weigh out my good things, bad things, and hopefully the good things will weigh a little more than the bad things, and, and then I'll get into heaven. You got it wrong. That's not what the Bible teaches. Greater works. Now, I want to talk to you just for one second here. And I'll, I'll try to do the reading because I think I'll get a bit more. But you need to understand ICA's DNA. Or at least the DNA while I'm here. He didn't change the DNA when I'm gone. But while I'm here, let me tell you what ICA's DNA is. All right? Yeah, I want to play with that a little bit. <laughs> All right. Let me read to you. I want to read to you about signs and wonders. Okay? I want to read to you our DNA on this subject. Do you know Neil Anderson? Most of you do. If not, the ladies do for sure. Uh, they've done studies. And um, if you know anything about spiritual warfare and so on, uh, you've had to run across a guy by the name of Neil Anderson. Uh, we met him back in the early 90s when he was starting out with his campaigns in, in the U.S. and before he even hit Great Britain. And uh, uh, anyway, I think he, he portrays it a lot better, so I, I'll, I'll, I'll use his words. John chapter 13, 35. By this all men will know that you are my disciples. If you have love one for another. Then he says, signs and wonders validate the ministry of Jesus and the apostles. After quoting from the prophet Joel and demonstrating the outpouring of the spirit at Pentecost was biblical, Peter preached about Jesus of Nazareth as, and he quotes Acts 2.22, a man attested to you by God with miracles, wonders, signs which God performed through him in your midst. Of the apostles, Paul said, and he quotes 2 Corinthians 12, 12, the signs of a true apostle were performed among you with all perseverance by signs and wonders and miracles. However, however, signs and wonders would also accompany false teachers, false prophets. Matthew 7, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name? Did we not do miracles in your name? Did we not cast out demons in your name? And you know, in that passage, Jesus never says to them, no, you didn't. Actually, it's implied that they did. But that wasn't enough. He says, away, I never knew you. 2 Peter chapter 2. The entire chapter is about false prophets. In fact, biblical reference to signs and wonders in the last days are nearly all credited to false prophets in the tribulation. Time, excuse me, to false prophets. In the tribulation, it says, deceivers, those who dwell on earth because of the signs which it was given to him to perform in regards to the false prophets. Jesus is no longer with us in the flesh. And there are no more apostles with a capital A. Jesus identifies the signs of a disciple as marked quite differently. Here's what are the signs of a disciple. By this all men will know that you are my disciple. If you have love, one for another. That's the sign, folks. That's the sign that you are a true disciple. You know what? It's interesting how the different ideas of theology divide churches and, and we get all, all worked up about what you believe, what I believe, what you believe, what I believe. Where's the love? You know, I wonder what Jesus is saying up there. You got the wrong sign. You're seeking for signs and wonders. My sign is that you love one another. Now, 
Let me just quick, quickly fill, finish it. For this, does this mean, now you need to listen to this part, because up to now you're probably misjudging me. But you need to listen to the rest. Does this mean that signs and wonders have ceased? I certainly don't want to be identified, and this is my testimony, I certainly don't want to be identified with an evil generation that seeks only after signs, Luke 11. But I also don't want to be associated with the powerless, anti-supernaturalism evidence in Western rationalism. I don't want to be that. Both the power of God and the wisdom of God are expressed in Christ Jesus. Paul said, For indeed Jews ask for signs. Greeks seek for wisdom, but we preach Christ crucified. To the Jews a stumbling block, to the Gentiles foolishness, but those who are the call, both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God. You think I don't believe in signs and wonders? You misunderstood me. Do you think I believe in what I see with my eyes? Then, then, then we need to talk a little bit. Here's my prayer. Lord, reveal to me the true source of my spiritual experience. If they are not from you, then I renounce them. And here's my thought to you. Do not. Do not sacrifice the written word of God on the altar of experience. Are you seeking for signs and wonders? Well, guess what? You're in the wrong category. You should be seeking to love one another. I just want to conclude with this thought. Well, so how are we supposed to do it? Now, verse uh, our third point. How are we as the church supposed to get this job accomplished? What does God give to us that we can do these greater works of preaching the gospel and doing, doing this work of Christ? Well, the authority to accomplish it comes as priests. The Bible tells us the priesthood of the believer. See, we are priests. And priesthood is not a privileged few. Priests are all who know Christ as their Savior. In the Old Testament, all priests were from the tribe of Levi, descendants of Aaron from the first high priest. They were the bridge between God and man. And man needed them in order to approach God. That was the system. They needed priests. But in the New Testament, the Bible teaches us that each believer is a priest. In 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 5, he calls us holy priests. A holy priesthood. In verse 9, a royal priesthood. In 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse 5, we are told who our priest is, who our mediator is, and that there is only one. It says that there is one mediator between God and man, the man Christ Jesus. No more priests needed to come into the presence of God. You are a priest. That's why it tells us in Hebrews 4, uh, verse 16, that we are to draw near to the throne of God. We are to draw near with confidence to obtain grace to help in the time of need. Come to the throne of God. You don't need somebody come for you. So let me conclude by just quoting to you Galatians 6 is our last point. Don't wait. Don't wait to be served, folks. 
Learn to serve. Jesus didn't come to be served. He came to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. The greater works. Galatians 6.10 says this. So then, while we have the opportunity, let us do good to all people. And especially to those who are of the house of faith especially to those who are. Do good to all people, but especially to those who are of the house of faith. Arise. God didn't save you just to warm you over, keep you, you know, nice and warm until he comes. God saved you to empower you to do the greater works. Let's stand. We close in a word of prayer.